We are uh, turning now to God's Word, and we are continuing a study through the book of Revelation. Uh, we're in, uh, still in Revelation chapter 1, um, and we're going to overlap with some of the passages that we looked at last week. So we're looking at Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 9. You can follow along right there in the bulletin. This is the Word of the Lord. I, John, your brother... And partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you for your uh, holy word, and uh, we pray that you'd be our teacher now as we uh, study this vision of our Savior, Jesus, and the mystery of who he is. And uh, we pray that in these words we would find comfort, and we would find hope, and we would respond to this word with, with faith, that we would trust in Christ, and, and we would respond with obedience and, and do what he calls of us. And so uh, we pray that your spirit would be our teacher now, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we are in our third sermon on uh, the book of Revelation, and in, in the first two sermons, uh, we uh, talked about how Revelation, uh, like the rest of the books of the New Testament, were written in a historical context to the, the churches in, during the first century, and it has application to us just as the rest of the New Testament does. But particularly, it was written to churches in the first century that were, were experiencing persecution and tribulation. Well, today we come to the beginning of the vision that the Apostle John was given in, in the book of Revelation when he was on the island of Patmos and the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And what is the first and most important thing that John sees? Uh, for a church in tribulation, what do they need to hear about? What do they need to focus on? Well, uh, to understand that, um, I was thinking of a, a, a memory I had from, from 15 years ago. I was uh, studying math at the University of Washington and uh, played on an intramural flag football team. I was played with the, the dentist team. Even though I was a mathematician, I was, I was allowed to play with the dentist. And we, uh, uh, we did pretty well in this uh, flag football league, and so we made it to the semifinals of the playoffs. We got to play in Husky Stadium under the lights. The stadium was empty. There were not a lot of fans who wanted to come watch us play. 
But we got to play in Husky Stadium. It was a big game, and it was a close game, and I came down to the final drive, and we were uh, driving, driving down the field. We got down to the three-yard line. We needed one touchdown to win. There was enough time for one play. It was fourth down, and there was time for one play. And so we came into the huddle, and I was the quarterback, and there was a guy on our team who was, he was tall. He was pretty fast, big target, but very uncoordinated. He hadn't caught one pass the whole the whole game. I'm not sure he'd caught a pass the whole season. And I thought to myself, I said, you know what? It's your time right now. And, I, and everyone in the huddle said, I don't think this is a good idea to <laughs> throw it to him. And I looked him in the eyes and I said, I believe he can do it. And I, you're going to go in the end zone. You're going to take a cut. I'm going to hit you right in the hands and you're, we're going to win the game. So we go up to the line of scrimmage. He runs into the end zone. Good cut into the corner. Put the ball right into his hands and whoosh. We lose the game. <laughs> and it proves the lesson. If you've ever watched uh, football on television, when you come to the final drive, you always throw the ball to your best player. You don't throw it to your worst player. Even if your best player is double covered, you throw it to your best player. You focus on your best player because your best player can do things that no one else can do. And you need to focus on him. Well, Revelation takes this same philosophy and says when a church is in tribulation... And under persecution, in intention, the church has to focus on its best player. Who is Jesus? Who is the Lord? And that's what you find in this opening chapter. As soon as the vision starts, it is a vision of our Savior. And it's an incredible uh, passage that we read here that draws on uh, allusions from the Old Testament. And there are all kinds of images that are used to describe to us who is Jesus. Um, our King and our Lord. And in particular, uh, we see three things emerge about Jesus from this passage, that Jesus is a prophet, priest, and king. And those were the three main offices from the Old Testament of the leaders of God's people in the Old Testament. And so this morning, uh, we are going to look at these three qualities uh, these of our leader himself. And as we study this passage together and see our own need for Jesus as, um, as our leader, these are the, the, the three, um, three truths about who Jesus is that I want to highlight for us this morning. That Jesus is our heavenly priest, Jesus is the true king of the world, and Jesus is the final prophet. Jesus is our heavenly priest, Jesus is the true king of the world, and Jesus is the final prophet. And I should say before we start, you know, our church is a, a reformed Presbyterian church, and our, our tradition the way that we have talked about who Jesus is is with those titles of prophet, priest, and king. And actually, if I would just read our, the Westminster Confession, puts it this way. It says, It pleased God in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, his only begotten son, to be the mediator between God and man, the prophet, priest, and king. So those three titles we see in this passage today. And so uh, we're going to see them as we, we look at Revelation 1 together. So, Three points this morning. The first is this. Jesus is our heavenly priest. Jesus is our heavenly priest. Now, in this passage I just read to you, the apostle John was in the spirit on the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day is Sunday. He was worshiping like we are. And he heard a voice behind him. And it says there in verse 12, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. 
Now, the book of Revelation is constantly bouncing around from different places in the Old Testament. It's drawing on the imagery of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is kind of the key to unlocking what Revelation is about. And so when we hear about lampstands, it should bring us to the Old Testament tabernacle. That during the time of Moses, after the Israelites had been uh, delivered out of slavery in Egypt, they came out into the wilderness, and God said, I want you to build a tent where I'm going to dwell among you. And in that tent, there were these two rooms. There was the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was, that had the Ten Commandments in it. And then there was another room called the Holy Place. It had a table with bread on it. It had a, um, an altar of incense. And then it had a lampstand. There was a lampstand, the menorah, that had the seven branches to it with the lights on it. And the only people that were allowed to go into that room were the priests. And the priests would go in and they would take care of the bread and they would make sure the lamps have enough oil in them and they would trim the wicks so that the lights were always burning bright and the light was always shining. And so when in this passage it says in verse 13, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest, when it says there was someone in the midst of the lampstands, we know that the son of man from the gospels is Jesus, and the long robe and the golden sash are the garments of a priest. This verse is showing us that Jesus is a priest. He's a priest among the, in the tabernacle. And it's not the earthly tabernacle back that Moses built, which was a shadow of the true tabernacle where God dwells in heaven. The true so he's the heavenly priest. And so if Jesus is our priest, what does our priest do for us? Now, there are a lot of ways to answer that. He's like a pastor. He's like the pastor in our church, priest like the pastor. What are some of the things that this passage says that he does? Well, I want to highlight a few of them, okay? The first is that the priest is in our midst. He's in our midst. He's walking among us. And in, in, in this passage, uh, in the passage that we'll look at next week, we'll find out that the lampstands in this passage are the seven churches that the church was written to. So our church, a church is a lampstand. And so walking, when the priest is walking among the lampstand, it means he's walking among the church. And in the book of Revelation, uh, Jesus is going to send these seven letters to these churches that were in, the, that were in kind of modern-day Turkey now, these ancient churches. He sends each of them a letter and in the letter, he's going to encourage them, and he's also going to correct them and say, these are some sins you're getting into, and you're following some false teaching. And uh, basically what he's being like is the priest, where he's tending to these lights and making sure that they stay lit. And that's what Jesus is doing in our midst. He's keeping us shining bright. He's keeping us shining our light, which means that you and I are lights that have a tendency to stop shining. We have a tendency to initially be really excited about who the Lord is and we're, we want to serve him and we're excited about his kingdom and it wears off. And we need a priest among us who keeps filling us up with oil, keep cutting the, trimming the, the, the wick so that it keeps shining. And so, uh, so first of all, Jesus is, a myth, is the priest who's in our midst. He's among us. Second thing that we see about the priest is that he's old and wise. He's an old and wise pastor. And I know some of you maybe had wished that you had an old and wise pastor, you know, and instead you got a young pastor like me. But, you know, you'd love to have the wise old man with the gray hair who's had years of experience, who's like a father figure, who just knows the right thing to comfort your heart just at the right time. Well, we do have an old and wise pastor like that. Look at what verse 14 says. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. 
Jesus is the old man with, with gray hair who's among us. And Proverbs 20, 29 says, the glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. And you might say, well, how old is Jesus? He's the old man among us. How old is he? Well, actually, it turns out this is also alluding to another passage in the Old Testament from Daniel chapter 7, which is a similar vision where, where Daniel has this vision of heaven, and it says this, as I looked, thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. So how old is Jesus? He is the ancient of days. He's, ancient, he's older than the earth itself. And I think, uh, you know, many of us, especially when we're younger, you know, maybe we're starting out our careers, and we're making big life decisions. What should I do with my life? We, we wish it was just an older person in our life who knew us, who uh, would listen to us, but had wise counsel and, and could give us direction and say, oh, you know, these stuff that you're stressed out about, don't worry about that. It's all going to work itself out. Or this thing, you really need to give focus to this. This is going to really matter in the long run. And I know for me, there, there are older uh, pastors in our presbytery, and I call them up, and they talk me through stressful things that I'm working, out, working through in the church. We all long to have an older presence like that in our lives. Jesus is that. We have one. You can talk to him. You can ask him for counsel. He will speak to you. He wants to play that role in your life. And so we have a priest who's in our midst, you know, filling us with oil, trimming the wicks. He's old and wise. But there's a third thing that we learn about our pastor priest is that he sees us at the deepest level. Jesus sees us at the deepest level. And you see there in the second part of verse 14, his eyes were like a flame of fire. What does it mean that Jesus' eyes were flames of fire? Well, uh, Jesus' eyes are described later in the book of Revelation in chapter 5. This is what it says about his eyes there. And between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb standing. So Jesus is the lamb of God, so there's the lamb. And it says... As though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So the eyes of Jesus are the seven spirits. That's the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit goes out into the whole earth and searches out all the humans of the earth and knows everyone intimately and knows their stories and knows what's happened to them and knows their thoughts and their emotions. And so... That's, uh, and it makes sense that the Holy Spirit is fire, right? Because in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit comes on the church, he comes as this tongues of fire. He comes as fire. And, uh, and we know that the Holy Spirit searches all things out. This is one of the great hopes of being a Christian, that you have a great pastor priest in Jesus who knows the depths of your soul and why you do the things you do and the reason you think the way you think. You know, many of us, we go to counseling because we're like, I don't understand why I talk the way I talk or do the things I do or feel the way I feel. And my whole inner life is like a mystery to me. And it's this huge challenge to say, how do I sort all this out? And what hope to go into counseling and that whole exploration to know that Jesus 
looks deeply into you by his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has searched every part of your whole past and every experience you've had and how it shapes how you think and how you feel. And he is the one who is forming you to become who he wants you to be. It's incredible hope. And so how does Revelation encourage struggling churches? It assures us that we have a heavenly priest who is a pastor. He's in our midst. That we're these lampstands that constantly need to be attended to, corrected, and we need oil added to us to keep us burning. And he's an old and wise counselor with gray hair. He's more ancient than the earth itself, and his eyes are like flaming fire that looks into the deepest places of our souls. And so it's a really intimate picture of Jesus' role in our church. But, you know, the second thing about that, Jesus is even more than just the great pastor priest. And this is the second thing we learn about him. First, we learn this very intimate quality of who Jesus is, but then it zooms out. And we see that second, Jesus is the true king of the world. So he's our pastor and he's the true king of the world. Now, one of the things you'll notice about this passage is that it gives a survey of Jesus kind of from his head down to his toe. And it uses all this imagery from the creation to describe him. So look at verse 14 again where it says, The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. Now this Poetic description of a human sounds very strange uh, to us, but a similar technique is used in the great uh, love poem of the Old Testament, uh, the Song of Songs. And I'll read to you just a few verses from the Song of Songs where the the woman, the Song of Songs, there are these these, like poems that are said back and forth between these these two uh, man and a woman who love each other. And the woman says to her beloved, she says this, my beloved is radiant and ruddy, Distinguished among 10,000, his head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full, full pool. His cheeks are like beds of spices. And it goes on and on like this. And you're like, what is it? Cheeks or beds of spices? Like, what is that? Is that a compliment? And, uh, but it's just, it's drawing all this creation story. Um, and, uh, and so Revelation is telling us from the beginning that it too is a love poem. And here we get the, the, the picture of the bridegroom who is Christ. And if you read to the end of Revelation, how does the book of Revelation end? Is the marriage of Jesus to his bride, the church. But this kind of top-to-bottom description appears also in one other book in the Old Testament. And it's uh, it's the book of Daniel. And uh, Daniel takes place in the uh, the 6th century B.C. Daniel uh, was an exile among the Babylonians. And if you read the book of Daniel, the the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, has a dream uh, that only Daniel is able to interpret. And, And what's in this dream is this statue or this man that is made out of metal. And again, the dream uses this imagery of describing the man from his head down to his toe. This is, let me read Daniel 2 to you. It says, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, 
its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. So you hear the same technique. It starts from the head and goes to the chest and goes all the way down to the toes. And it turns out, what is this statue made of all these different metals? Well, it turns out these represent the great empires of the first millennium BC. So the, gold, the head of gold is Babylon and the chest of silver is, is Persia, whoever they conquered the Babylonians in the, in the uh, 6th century BC. And then, and then the bronze portion in the middle are the Greeks who, who defeated the Persians in the 5th century BC. And then the legs of iron is the, the Roman Empire that de- eventually defeated the Greeks. And in the dream, it says that all these empires will eventually be shattered and they'll be gone. And that's true. That's what's happened. There is no Babylonian Empire. There's no Greek or Persian or Roman Empire. They're all gone. But it does say that there will be God's final empire that would replace them all and would fill the earth. And so in this passage of Revelation, when it says in verse 15 there, you see what it says? His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. It's bringing us back to the dream about the empires of the world. And it's saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of the metal man from Daniel 2. And his body is the final empire. Uh, He is the true king of the world. And what's Jesus' body? Jesus' body is the church. And what Jesus is doing right now is building a massive empire. and includes people from every ethnic group, race, language, tribe, and nation. It is an empire that conquers peoples through love and service. Through speaking the truth. Doesn't have any bombs, doesn't have any guns, doesn't have any weapons. And it's really amazing that as you uh, read church history, you find out this is true that every kingdom over the last 2,000 years since Jesus came, they rise and they fall. They rise and they fall. They're not enduring. But the kingdom of Jesus is steadily just moving forward, it's continuing to grow. And some of you might think, well, you know, you look in our day and you say, it seems like Jesus kingdom is in retreat. You know, you look in America and a lot less people are identify as Christians and go to church. Far less people are going to church. And you might think this has been the great century where Jesus' kingdom has, has been falling backwards. Not true at all. The last century has been the missionary century of the last 2,000 years. Far more people have become Christians in the last 100 years than, than the centuries before that. And there's been a massive growth of God's kingdom in, in Africa, in South America, in Asia. And uh, the Christian church, and far more people have been martyred in this century than they have in any other century in the past. And so what do these early Christians need to hear and focus on when the church was so much smaller then than it is now, and they're facing severe persecution, they need to hear that Jesus is the heavenly priest in their midst, who's old and wise and has eyes of fire that sees deeply into their souls, but he is also the true king of the world, and he is building the only eternal empire that will outlast the kingdoms of the world. So he's a priest and he's a king. But the final thing that we see in this passage is that Jesus is the final prophet. He's a priest, a king, and he's the final prophet. And this vision uh, of Jesus is bookended with the word of God. You'll notice how it says in verse 12, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. He turned to see the word of God. And And then in verse 16 it says, In his right hand he held seven stars, From his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword. 
And we know in other places that the sharp two-edged sword is the word of God. And actually, that's a quote from Isaiah. Isaiah was a great prophet of the Old Testament. And Isaiah said about himself, he made my mouth like a sharp sword. Jesus is the final Isaiah. Jesus is the final prophet. And in fact, that's the, exactly what the book of Hebrews says. In the opening uh, of the book of Hebrews, it says, Long ago, in many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So Jesus is the last in this long centuries-old line of prophets who had come. The final word from God comes from God's own son, Jesus. And what is a prophet? A prophet is a mouthpiece for God. So, you know, some of us in the modern world, when you hear about prophecies, you, you think about, um, you know, someone who's predicting kind of catastrophic things that will happen in the future. And prophets do talk about things that will happen in the future. But mainly they are telling us, they're revealing to us God's purposes in the world. Who is God and what is he doing? Uh, and the role of prophets is so important in the Christian faith because most people in our culture, if you ask them, what do you believe about God? What do you think about, you know, the spiritual truths of the world? What are people going to tell you if you ask them what do they believe about God? Well, they'll say, well, I believe God is kind of the energy that's, you know, in everything, and it's the life force behind the universe that's kind of driving everything to happen. And you say, where did you learn that? Like, why do you believe that about God? And they say, well, I made it up. I mean, I don't know. It just resonates with me. And, and of course, that makes sense. How else would you know what God is like? I mean, God's invisible, and, you know, we can't see him. We can't touch him. We can't study him with a microscope. So how else would you believe something about God? You just make something up, unless... God told you what he's like. You know, it's kind of like anyone else in this church. If you come to this church for a while and you see someone on Sunday morning that you've never talked to and you make up all kinds of stuff about what you think they're like and then you met them and you're like, oh, they're way different than I assumed they were because I was just making stuff up about them until they told me their story and told me who they were and told me what they cared about and I realized they were way different than I thought they were. It's the same with God. God has spoken to us. He says, this is who I am through his prophets. And the final word, he sent his own son to say, this is who I am. This is what I'm like. Jesus shows us what God is like. And I'll tell you why this is important. I was listening to a, a podcast this week called this cultural, this cultural Moment. And it was talking about the process of secularization. So, you know, people talk about how we live in a secular culture where uh, religion is not a part of our public life. We talk about religion is a very private thing that you do in your individual life. And, and in most cultures throughout history, it wasn't that way. You know, religion was a part of political life. It was, it was every part of your life. And so how did we become a society like this where religion has been so pushed to the margins? And this podcast was talking about how, well, it started with the church in the Roman Empire. You know, in the Roman Empire, you'd have altars all over the place and people making sacrifices to all kinds of gods. And the reason we don't have temples, you know, where we're sacrificing to Zeus anymore is because of Christianity. Christianity kind of dismantled paganism, of the paganism of the ancient world. And then you had an, a second great shift during the time of the Reformation, where the, uh, during the Reformation, Christians 
really promoted religious liberty and said people should be able to follow their own conscience and what they believe in. And, uh, and so, you know, a religion shouldn't be forced on them. And so it just fractured into everyone kind of having all different kinds of, of religions that they personally believe in. And so that we come to our day where there is no religion really a part of our life. And so for many people, life and the world itself has been drained of its meaning. And we don't have a large overarching story that we're a part of. We don't have a meaning to the universe that we know gives meaning to our lives. And increasingly, the way we deal with that is we look to politics to create that meaning and that religion for us. And so it feels like our culture is increasingly fracturing and when there are no deep beliefs that, that hold us together. So in the midst of a world and a culture that feels like it is coming apart at the seams, what do we need? Well, Revelation chapter 1 says we need to focus on Jesus. He is the heavenly priest. He's among us. He's among the lampstands. He's old and he's wise. He doesn't get all worked up and anxious. He's steadily doing his purposes and his eyes of fire see deeply into each one of us. And he is the true king of the world. He alone is building the one eternal kingdom and all other empires will fall, but he will build his church in every land and he's doing that today. And he is the final prophet. God has spoken to us through his son, and in the midst of all the turmoil of the world, if you want to know what God is doing, look at Jesus. He is the best player on our team. He is the one who can do things that no one else can do. And so at the important moments, let us trust him and follow him, and he will lead us in the way that is right. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for your uh, holy word, and uh, we thank you for this majestic vision of our Savior as, as, as priest and king and prophet. And uh, Lord, we long to know him more deeply, and uh, we pray that we would find comfort that he is in our midst and walks among us. And may he keep us shining bright, even if we face difficulty and turmoil, and even if we feel that the world around us is fractured and coming apart. And Lord, we love you. May we worship you. And would you build your kingdom in every nation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.